Amen. Do you think words impact water more than they impact you? You might be thinking, that is a weird question to ask. Uh, Did I even hear Kenny Wright? So I will say it again. Do you think words impact water more than they impact you? Dr. Habib Sadighi uh, wrote an article called The Scary Power of Negative Words. In that, he quotes the work of Japanese scientist Emoto, who uh, went on to write a book called The Hidden Message in Water. This is what he said. When frozen, water that's free from all impurities will form beautiful ice crystals. They look exactly like snowflakes under a microscope. Water that's polluted or has additives like fluorine will freeze without forming crystals. In his experiments, Emoto poured pure water into vials labeled with negative phrases like, I hate you, or fear. After 24 hours, the water was frozen and no longer crystallized under the microscope. It yielded gray, mishappened clumps instead of beautiful, lace-like crystals. In contrast, Emoto placed labels that said things like, I love you, or peace, on vials of polluted water. And after 24 hours, they produced gleaming, perfectly hexagonal crystals. Emoto's experiments proved that energy generated by positive or negative words can actually change the physical structure of an object. Isn't that interesting? That water is affected by the power of words. Well, if water is affected by the power of words... Does it stand to reason that people are even more so? Speak life. You would think, though, that words have value. In other words, words that are true would be more valuable than words that are not true or that are lies. But that's not what scientists have found. In fact, the effect called the illusion of truth disqualifies that thought completely. The illusion of truth effect basically states this. The more times you hear something, the more valid it is in your brain, whether that is true or false. So when we start considering the voices from the outside speaking to us and voices internally speaking within us, we are forced to address this. What are the messages that we are hearing? internally and externally? And how are those messages affecting us, and in some cases, infecting us? Our words matter. In fact, I think it's a powerful truth that there is life and there is death in the power of, a tongue, of the tongue. Um, the, the verse that we've been using in this series is Proverbs 18.21. And Uh, Matt, Pastor Matt, will be here speaking in a couple of weeks, and when he's here, the first person who comes up and quotes this passage to him, he'll give $100 to. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I totally made that up to see who was listening. Um, But it would be funny if you told Matt that you heard that. Um, He'll appreciate it, or at least I will. So Proverbs 18.21, I'm going to read it first, and then I would like you to read it with me. Uh, we'll get there in just a moment. It says this, death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruits. 
Proverbs 18.21. Would you say it with me now? Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Proverbs 18.21. Thank you, the three of you who did that with me. I appreciated it. (laughs) Uh, We're going to have some fun today, and we're going to engage in really some uh, some conversation that's going to be tough at times, that's going to deal with the soul. Death and life is the substance of what we'll be speaking to. I find it very interesting that oftentimes we can't even agree with a definition of death and life. Many times, culturally speaking, we would say that death is no longer breathing and life would be breathing But when we look at things through a biblical lens, we quickly identify that that's not a biblical definition of death or life. And so I want to take just a few moments and and, uh, build some context around it and to address this very issue. God, when he was speaking to Adam in the garden, in this perfect place, he is referring to the fruit of a tree that he's not supposed to eat of. And when he's referring to it, he says this to Adam. In the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. But Adam does eat of that. And then he goes on to live over 900 years. So did he surely die? Is the scripture just uh, filled with inconsistencies? Well, no. There is something else that happened that very same day. God met Adam and Eve in the garden in the cool of the day. And when he did, he confronted Adam and Eve and the serpent. And on that day, Adam and Eve were taken out of uh, the garden, out of the very presence of God. In the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And they surely died. They were separated from the presence of God completely and utterly in a place where they could, their faith had sight, in a place where their relationship was physical, it was no longer there. And it became death, separation from God. We know that that's consistent with the teachings of the Scriptures in the New Testament. Towards the end, in the book of Revelation, we find out that there is this place called hell, this place that is separated from the presence of God. And all people who are in this place, this place called hell, are separated completely and utterly from God. Not because God is mean, but because we chose that. And God's a gentleman. You can choose life or you can choose death. Death is separation from God. Life, however, looks a little bit different. Life is the presence of God. Life is consistent with knowing God and walking in relationship with him. Ultimately, that's fulfilled in a place that we refer to often as heaven. And in that place, we'll see God. Our faith will be sight. We'll see God and know God and experience God and be known by God in ways that we could only imagine on this side of eternity. Life and death mean something different from a biblical worldview than we often define it culturally. As we get ready to jump into this this message and really get into the word, would would you join me uh, just as we pray, as we seek God in this? Almighty God, we love you, we thank you, and we praise you. And we ask, Almighty God, that you would be lifted up and exalted, that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand. And Lord, we we want your truth.
And we know your word is truth. So, Lord, as we jump into this place, as we seek your word, we ask, Lord, that that you would marinate us in this truth for your glory. We love you. We thank you and praise you and ask for these words of life to come and infect us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, I don't I don't know what it was like in your home. In my home, we had uh, sayings, things that we did that were just part of my home growing up. When I was really little, we had some phrases that my dad and my mom began to perpetuate. And I'll, I'll share those with you, and you maybe are thinking of some in your own home. But here's an example of one. When I was real little, I was driving in the car with my dad, and we pulled up to the stoplight. It was a red stoplight, and it seemed like, you know, to me as a, I don't know, three-year-old or whatever I was at that time. It seemed like we were waiting there forever. And my dad looked at me and he said, you tell that old bad light to change. And I said, okay. And I looked at the light and I remember just like meaning it with all of my heart. Change, you old bad light, change. And eventually it did. And he goes, look, wow, good job. (laughs) And I'll just tell you that today, when I pull up to a stoplight and it's red, That goes through my mind. If you ever pull up beside me, you'll be like, I know what he's thinking. And I'm doing it. Like, change you, bad light. I can't wait. Uh, That's what happened in my home. My mom, uh, she had her own phrases. One of those, I remember sitting down beside her, and I was going to tell her something, and I lost it. You know, I just, like, I can't remember what I was going to say. And I told her that. I said, Mom, I had something I was going to tell you, but I forgot what I was going to say. And she said this. It was probably a lie. It's probably a lie. So when you forget stuff, it's probably a lie. That's, that's what she said. Of course, she said jokingly, teasing me. Uh, but my brother and I, we still use that phrase today. Like when we're talking, I'm like, oh, Steve, I was going to tell you something, but I forgot what it was. Yeah, it was probably a lie. We have these phrases that we use in our home. Maybe you have them too. But it got me thinking about Jesus. Like, do you think that there were some phrases in his home that they, they had to deal with? Like, Think for a second what it would have been like to grow up in the home with Jesus. That had to have been tough. That had to have been really hard. Like, man, you think Jesus is perfect, Mom. Yeah, he is. He's, he's perfect. You know, like, he's your favorite. Yeah, he's my favorite. You probably think he walks on water. Well, actually. You know, like, that had to be tough to grow up in that home, right? And, and I don't know. I'm, I'm going to make, I'm, I'm, I'm taking kind of a step that this is not thus saith the Lord. This is just my wonky brain thinking out loud. But um, I wonder if John, or I'm sorry, Jesus and James uh, heard this in their home. And here's why. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 37, it says this. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. And James 5.12 says it this way. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth, or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. You know, I wonder if, you know, Mary or Joseph said those things to in their home growing up, or maybe James is just quoting Jesus later on in life. At, with Either way, either way, words mean something. And making sure that what we're saying um, doesn't, doesn't cross any boundaries into sin. How are the words that we speak extending life and not lying, but telling the truth? 
And so in just a few moments, we're going to walk through what is truth. Why should we speak truth? And how, how should truth be presented? Those are the questions we're going to kind of wrestle through today as we walk through it. Recently, there was a um, discovery. Well, recently in the last, um, it, it was brought back up recently is more how I should say it. Because the discovery happened in Los Lunas, New Mexico in, 18, in the 1850s. In the 1850s, they were shocked because they saw this, this stone. You know, it was just a stone and kind of in the desert just outside of Los, Los Lunas, uh, New Mexico. And the stone had writing on it. But it was writing that they couldn't, like they didn't recognize it. It didn't seem consistent with any of the tribes that were in the area uh, prehistory. And so they were kind of confused, like where does this come from? Why, why is it there? In that area, it's not uncommon to see pictures drawn, but sentences, it, it wasn't consistent. So they were shocked. Well, later on in the late 1900s, they found some similar writing but it was in Israel. Interestingly enough, it's Paleo-Hebrew is what they found. So written about mm, two to 3,000 years ago is, is the script that is used. The same in Israel as it is in Los Lunas, New Mexico. And the interesting piece of that is that it's actually the Ten Commandments. So the Ten Commandments were found in Los Lunas, New Mexico, uh, how did it get there? We're not sure. Uh, when did it get there? Uh, we're not sure. But what we do know is that it's consistent with Paleo-Hebrew, uh, an ancient script that was written between two and 3,000 years ago. Pretty interesting stuff. It's interesting, though, that what they would write would be the Ten Commandments. Like, that's what they wanted to communicate. I think that's pretty powerful. Especially as it relates to words. And we're going to do this. I, did anybody go back through last week and start to do the Ten Commandments with your fingers? That thing? Yeah, yeah, a few of you did. I, I did too. I ended up watching a video like, did I get that right? So I'm going to have you help me out again, okay? Would you be willing to do that? Uh, you're going to have to do better than that, please. Uh, would you be willing to do that? Help me out? Okay, well done, well done. Okay, so I'm going to give the gesture. You help me out. Uh, we'll talk it through. So the first one is no other God. That's right. The second one. Yeah, yeah. No idols, right? The third one looks like a W. It's the words, right? We don't take the name of the Lord our God in vain. Four. Yep. Stop is the idea or uh, rest. Honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. Five. Honor your father and mother or else. I, I just added the or else part. It just, it helps in my brain. That's all. Okay. It's five. Six. Do not murder. That's right. I know. That's pretty rough. Uh, seven. Do not commit adultery. There are two people in a marriage, not five. Two, not five. Makes sense. All right. Eight. Don't steal, or else, in some countries they cut off digits for such things. Uh, do not steal, eight. We're going to skip nine for just a second and come back, so ten. Do not covet, yeah, do not covet. And nine, four is not five, five is not four, nine is do not lie. 
Do not lie. Good job. Now you know him. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Do not lie. Isn't it interesting that God has to purposely, in these Ten Commandments, he has to purposely talk about our words as if to say, in our default setting, we want to spin the truth. Like, it's hard for me to even say lie, right? Like, we just spin the truth. And then we're going to give a perspective on things that maybe isn't accurate. Yeah, it's called lying, right? It's, do not lie. Do not lie. God has to tell people not to do that. Because it's in our nature. We want to couch things a certain way so that, so that it's easier to receive. Or it's blunt and we get our way. We like to do that. Don't lie. Don't lie. Jesus, when he's teaching about this, he's confronting Satan and he says this about Satan. He says that he's the father of lies. And that when he lies, he's speaking his native language. So what does that mean when we lie? We're speaking his language. Now, we could go into great depth with Jesus' words when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We, like, there is a ton of stuff there. But at a, at a surface, just a glossing over it, we can certainly pull this out, and that is this, that Jesus is truth. And when we lie, we are not connecting with the truth. We are separating. We are separated from a relationship with God when we lie. Lying is a big deal to God. So big that when he says, hey, here are 10 things I want to cover, one of them is our words and specifically speaking lies. It's a big deal. So let's, let's ask the question then. What is truth? What is truth? Uh, it, this is a phrase that, um, uh, that we didn't come up with. It's actually from the scriptures. Jesus, when he's talking about his kingdom uh, to Pontius Pilate, just before he goes to the cross, uh, there is this interaction, and I love the way that it's captured. Uh, it says it this way in John chapter 18, verse 37, 38. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pontius Pilate said to him, what is truth? And I think now more than ever, that resonates with our culture. What is truth? What is truth? We have a lot of perspective. We have a lot of opinions. But what is truth? Jesus is going to tell. In fact, Jesus has already identified that in chapter 17. And we're going to look at that as we talk about the uh, why should we speak truth. So why should we speak truth is kind of connected to this idea of what is truth. We'll get to that in just a moment. Someone asked me one time if I had one chapter of the Bible and that's all I had uh, written, which chapter would you want? That, like That's a big question because it's all God's word it's, and it's all good. Like That's God's word. It's good. It means something. Probably the one, though, that resonates with my heart the most is John chapter 17. Here's why. Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You know that. But in John chapter 17, here's a place where he's praying. We get this intimate snapshot of Jesus 
just before he goes to the cross. And as he's feeling the burden and the weight of the cross, we hear his prayer, this intimate time with his father. And it, it's, it's amazing, and we're going to jump into it a little bit as we discover what is truth and why should we speak truth. This is Jesus praying, and he says it this way. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Pause there. These men are, and women are going to go out into the Roman Empire. Out of the 12 disciples, 11 of them are going to give their lives for the for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. One of them is going to die in his old age, fully committed to the Lord. This is a big deal because these, these families that are represented by those disciples, they could have been praying prayers like, Lord, keep me safe. Lord, I don't want to hurt. I don't want to suffer. Please stop this. And sometimes that's an appropriate prayer But ultimately, we're going to graduate from this side of eternity and face either life or death on the other side. The presence of God or the absence of God. It's going to happen. Jesus' prayer is not about graduating or not graduating. Jesus' prayer is keeping his believers, his followers from hell. That's a big big prayer. And by the way, because This prayer was answered, you and I are here today because men and women went out and they shared the gospel and they preached it. In some cases, they gave their lives. And in some cases, because they gave their lives, it took on and people uh, received Jesus as their Savior and it was shared and it was multiplied and it spread out. And it's not unique to the Semitic world and it's not unique to the Caucasian world and it's not unique to any place It's for everyone. And that's the beauty of the message of Jesus. And that's a part of his prayer here. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And then verse 17, he answers the first question. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Let me just pause there and say it this way. That your word is truth. This is not a science book, but when it talks about science, it's accurate. It's not a history book, but when it talks about history, it's accurate. And we could go and look at the scientists and the historians that have tried to disprove this book and have found the accuracy, the amazing accuracy of this book, and they've decided to follow Jesus because of it. Your word is truth. Friends, we're not going to go wrong by immersing ourselves in these pages, by, by drinking these waters of life. We'll extend life and share life. Continuing on, verse 19, And for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth or set apart in truth. Because of this word, we're set apart in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their word. In just a little bit, Jesus is going to start praying. He's going to sweat blood because of the pressure of the world, of sin, of death. That is where things are going in his life. But he pauses here to pray for me and pray for you. That's a pretty cool thing. 
I, I hope you don't miss it. He's praying for us. Not just for those disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through these disciples, their word. That's us. Jesus remembered us before he went to the cross. That's big. Verse 21. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be in us. I'll pause there for just a second because I don't want to miss that. Jesus is calling us to unity. The Lord has answered many of my prayers. He answered any of your prayers? Anybody? Yeah? He's answered our prayers, right? This is the one place in Scripture, the only place I can find in Scripture, and I could be wrong, but this is the only place, and I've looked, the only place in Scripture where I can find we can answer Jesus' prayer. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, walking in faith, we can answer his prayer by being one. How are we one? Being immersed in truth. Uh, What is that truth? That Jesus died on the cross for my sins. He conquered sin and death, and he gives life to anybody who would call on him. And he's calling us to himself. And it's this message that we steward and we live in and we walk in and we share with others. And it's life-giving. And it makes us one. It makes us one. And then he says this, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Why? Why should I speak truth? Why? Because the world needs to know. How are they going to know? Because we're one. How will we be one when we're immersed in this? Living it out. This isn't behavior modification. It's spiritual transformation that comes from the inside out. Done by the work of God. Yielded to him. That's where it goes. It's a matter of dying to self and living in him. And it's not something that we, we force or act on on our own. But when we do that, it actually leaves a distaste. That the world may believe that you have sent me. What an incredible gift God has given the church. And that gift is to be stewards of the reputation of God himself. Amazing. And you and I get to be a part of that together. So how should the truth be presented? Because I, I, I hear this a lot. And I'm, I'm kind of given this pan, pendulum swing on the one side. It's like... I. I'll tell you, this is how. I'm going to tell you what I think. You're going to hear what I think, and I don't care what you do with it. So that's one side. Then there's this other side of, hmm, I don't really want to hurt anybody's feelings. I don't want people to get mad or uncomfortable. God forbid we make someone uncomfortable. And there's this pendulum that we we see that, that is very prevalent in our culture. So what do we do? Well, thank you for asking. Let's look at the scriptures. Ephesians 4, verse 11 is where we're going to start. And we're going to work through a few, few verses here. It says this, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So God has given people uh, spiritual gifts to use in the body of Christ so that we can grow, so that we can reach out, so that we can love one another and love those in our community. That, like, that's the purpose. Um, verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, that kind of reminds me of John 17 being one, and of knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. 
so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Okay, so uh, in other words, why are we being built up? So that we can grow, so that we can be stronger, so that we're not uh, on, on, at one time like this, this doctrine I have to have. No, no, it's not that one anymore. It's this one. Oh, wait, this is the most important. No, maybe it's not that one. It's this one. Maybe it is this one over here. I don't know what we're doing. You know, like he wants us to be able to grow in our walk. And then he says, rather speaking the truth in love. If you have your Bibles open there, I want to encourage you to underline it. If you have a highlighter, highlight it. Put a little star by it. Truth in love. That's what both of these were missing that I shared earlier. On the one hand, and I would say that both of these are perspectives too that I shared. But on the one hand, you know, we don't have to be those, you're going to hell or, you know, you need to follow Jesus or else. Like, don't be that. Um, Is it true? Maybe. But is it love? Probably not. So how do we add love to truth? And then on the other hand, you know, there's the side of I don't want to hurt feelings and I don't, I don't want anyone to be uncomfortable. And, uh, you know, but yeah, but so are we going to miss out on truth? It's like this. If, if, there were, if, if someone were outside, uh, you were crossing 169, let's say, and they're not really paying attention and there's a car coming down on them, wouldn't you reach out and grab them and pull them into safety. Now, if you did that, they may scrape their knee when you pull them. Uh, they may fall and hurt themselves. It might not be super comfortable. But you saved their lives. I think sometimes we're in that place where we act like we're not seeing this vehicle coming down the road that's going to crush somebody. But in love, can we reach out and pull them in? And that's the point here. Can we speak the truth in love? This isn't thus saith Kenny. This isn't thus saith insert your name. (laughs) This is the word of God. And I just want you to know, because I don't, there is going to be a time where we graduate from this world into the next and there will be the presence of God and it'll be life or there will be the absence of God and that's hell. And I don't want you to go to hell. I don't want you to be in that place. And if I can reach out and help you with that, empowered by the Holy Spirit, I want to do that. I want you to know that truth and I want you to experience that love. And that's where we land that one. So, the passage, if you would read it with me. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Proverbs eighteen twenty one. Death and life. So what's it going to be? Do our words give death or do they give life? Like the water that we talked about earlier, what is the fruit of our own lives? So I want to encourage you, and I, I've been doing this off and on through the years, and I'm, I'm, I don't know, I'm kind of motivated to do this again. I want to offer what we call faith experiments. Faith experiments. Now, th- there's not a slide, so you might want to write these down. Uh, if you're like, ah, I didn't bring pen and paper, uh, listen to this. It'll, I think they're going to publish this maybe tomorrow. Uh, listen to the end of the message again, and you'll hear these experiments. Now, having said that, 
You may want to participate in one, in a couple of them, all of them. Cool. You also might be sitting there and the Spirit of God is, is stirring something else in you. Do that. <laughs> like, that's okay. But here are some ideas that may help you to uh, apply what we've learned. I call them faith experiments. There's probably a better name, uh, but I'm using this one, so deal with it. All right, number one. Here, and I'll go through them all, and then I'll explain them. The first one, social media. So for 10 days on social media, simply post this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Just post that for 10 days. All right, second one. A negativity fast. For 10 days, don't read, write, or say negative stuff. Negativity fast. Three, purposefully greet three people a day with a smile and ask how they are and, and if you can pray for them. Okay, so those are the three experiments. Let me dig in just a little bit. The first one, I, I don't know how you've been with social media. I'll just tell you that there have been several forms of social media that I've withdrawn from because I... Like, seriously, I'm just tired of it. <laughs> I was like, there's too much negativity, and I, my head is somewhere else, and I just need to keep my head somewhere else. So I've withdrawn from it. However, if you're still on there and you say, hey, this could be a great platform for me to engage, God bless you. I hope you do. Here's what I suggest. Just state, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Leave it at that. Just see how people respond. For three or four days, just as you're posting it each day, just leave it like that. And then after three or four days, start to respond to the people who like it. You'll start to see people who are resonating with it or who are questioning it. In some ways, it's, the, it's using the illusion of effect, um, uh, the illusion of truth effect, um, except for it's true. So we're empowering people in truth, and I like that. Number two, negativity fast. So for 10 days, don't read, write, or say anything negative. Just see how you do with that. You might be really overwhelmed at how much negativity is coming in from different venues, from different platforms. Consider that and see how you might engage for 10 days. I have found, by the way, uh, just getting off some forms of social media for me, uh, I've just not having it has given like a breath of life to me. So what happens when you're speaking life into it as well? Pretty cool. And then number three, purposefully greet three people a day with a smile, ask how they're doing and pray for them. Now, I, I did put a smile in there and here's why. There are some people, and I've been guilty of this from time to time. There's some people, they look like they've been baptized in pickle juice. You know what I mean? It was like, you know, how are you doing? I'm happy. Really? You should tell your face because it, it hasn't heard the news. Um, you know, so, so smile when you greet these people. Uh, let them know that you're happy and then ask them how they are. And then if it's appropriate in the context that you're in, maybe it's appropriate at work, maybe it's not appropriate at work, maybe it's appropriate with the relationship or not appropriate, like be discerning, but just ask, how can I pray for you? How can I pray for you? See what happens over the, over the next week or so as you do that. Those are the experiments, the faith experiments. See what you think. Um, as we, as the worship team comes out, I, I just want to close our time in prayer. And um, like we did last week, if you would 
if you would be willing to just put your palms out to say, Lord, whatever you have for me, I'll receive. And whatever you want to take, you can have. Uh, Join me as we pray. Lord God, we do love you. And we thank you and praise you. And we thank you for your words and that your words are true. And Lord, that those true words have the ability to speak life into us and through us and onto others. And so, Lord, I pray that that would happen even here today, that your love would, would be received, that, uh, that truth and love would be married in this place in a way that they can't be separated And that as truth is being spoken, love would be present. And as love is being spoken, truth would be present. And we couldn't separate those away. Lord, I I pray that you would help us to be one. As you and the Father are one, so make us one. Lord, that the world may know that the Father has sent you. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. And it's in Jesus Christ's precious and holy, holy, holy name we pray. Amen.